some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theatre at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Here's what DC is talking about. The 11th Street Bridge connects Anacostia to Navy Yard, and there's a project underway to create a park there for everyone to share, while also not leaving out longtime residents of Anacostia. It's been a long effort to get this park made, and in fact, just last week, the groundbreaking was delayed to the end of the year. But the park's creators say that it's all going to be worth it, in large part because it's by the community, for the community. They're here today to tell me how that works. Today is Monday, March 6th. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. I'm here with Scott Kratz, the 11th Street Bridge Park Director, and Ronald Moten of Don't Mute DC. Thank you both so much for being here. Welcome. Thanks so much. So, Scott, let's start with you. For folks who might not know, what exactly is the 11th Street Bridge Park? The 11th Street Bridge Park is a partnership between our East of the River nonprofit, Building Bridges Across the River, and the District Department of Transportation to transform an old, aged-out freeway into a new park. So we had this old freeway that was built in the 1960s that reached the end of its lifespan and needed to be replaced. And instead of getting rid of the whole infrastructure, we decided to see how we could try and save it and repurpose it and extend the life of that initial federal investment, but replace it with something that no longer holds cars or tractor trailers, but that holds community-generated programming spaces. So what do both of you think that this park could mean to the community once it's opened? I think that it can be some model of how you bring something special to the community with the community being a part of it and something to bring people together in the community versus what normally happens is something new comes, pushes people out of the community and people don't feel like they are part of what's coming to the community. I'm a business owner who's been here for over 10 years, but there's some people who spent the last 50 years here. And sometimes they feel like they're not involved and engaged. I think the Levin Street Bridge Project is a model of how you create an environment and a vehicle to bring people together and enhance the quality of life of everybody who's been in the community and who comes to the community. What are some of the ways that it looks like to make sure that the community is really part of making this park happen? Before we engaged a single architect or landscape architect, we spent two years, to Ron's point, just going out in the community and telling us, what do you think, right? I think oftentimes these projects happen where an almost finished idea is presented to the community and it's like, now we want your thought. And you're like, well, no, not really, because you're rearranging the chairs at that point, right? And for us, and particularly recognizing that East of the River has a large and justifiable trust deficit, right? Because let's just be frank, like people who probably look just like me have come in the community again and again, made a lot of promises, right? And for a variety of reasons, those promises haven't been fulfilled. It was really critical as we started to just come in and ask, like, should we even do this? Like, in essence, sort of ask for permission. 
And so we had over 200 meetings those first two years with faith leaders, with community leaders, with organizers, with business owners of just saying like, here's an idea. What do you think? And there was, you know, some skepticism to be sure, but a lot of enthusiasm. They said, all right, well then what should be on the park? Right. So every single element from the park, from the play space to the environmental education center to a performance space was the number one idea that the community asked for was baked into an international design competition. We sort of think about describing this project. It's how do you put decision making power back into the hands of local residents? Right. So we pulled together a group of three dozen stakeholders who reviewed our design brief, met with our four final design teams again and again. And then at the end of this eight-month process, it was the community that selected the design team. So I didn't vote, right? The community voted. And whenever the community voted, we're going to have to go out and raise a bunch of money and make this happen. But um, but this is for the community. The community should be in the position to decide. So I think those, those are some ways that how this shows up. Ron, I'm curious to know from you as someone who has been in the Southeast D.C. area for a while, why do you think folks in the community want to see this park happen? Me personally, when I first... Saw it. I was like, oh, here go another white man coming to my community. <laughs> Talking about Scott news, here. So-called good news, <laughs> colonizer. I mean, I'm just telling you what came to mind. Right. And the more and more Scott came around, the more and more uh, he erased the people's fears. And he had a great team and he hired people from the community. Also, as they were building their infrastructure for what they're doing, they also helped people in the community build up what they were doing simultaneously. So it felt like a real community type of thing and trust type of thing because you didn't feel like somebody was doing what often happens in our community. They come in, <clears throat> suck the blood out the community, and the community feels like, how do we benefit? Right? Is that process kind of the way you have been used to it working? Someone just sort of helicoptering in, taking, extracting, and not actually being a meaningful presence of sticking around or even being concerned about, well, what are folks up to here? Like, how can I help them I'm as well? I'm going to tell you what I'm used to. I'm used to people studying what I've done and what others in my community have done great, right? Model it and then sell it back to us like they created it. Mm. That's what I'm used to. You know what I'm saying? Scott did the direct opposite, and that doesn't happen. Normally, if you go on U Street in Washington, D.C., you see all this art of black people done by nobody black. And they call this the U Street Corridor, you know, the historic U Street Corridor where Duke Ellington was, but nobody who looked like Duke Ellington actually put their hands on anything. And, you know, partnerships can be beautiful. When you stop listening to the people, right, you basically start doing a disservice to the community and the people who live there. And this can be a narrative a new narrative that's created that can go throughout the world, throughout the country. This is a real uh, example of how it it should be done. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own, The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, the Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. 
Visit thearboretttacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. That's a great pivot to talk about what the current vision for the park is. Scott, can you tell me a little bit about what you're thinking for this park? What will it look like? How big will it be? Sure. So the park itself will be uh, about the size of three football fields stacked end to end to end. So it's about seven and a half acres all told. And most of it over the water, right? To Ron's point, this river has been this dividing line for generations, right? So I think of all the goals that we had for the park, like this idea of bringing together residents who otherwise wouldn't normally connect, right, I think was the goal that most viscerally sort of connected with local residents. So uh, we just commissioned a series of public art for the park that's beautiful. I mean, it's really stunning. And Jackson Jarvis Studios that are designed these this beautiful sculpture called Anacostia Sunrise Sunset Portals. Martha Jackson Jarvis was the artist who did the giant artwork around the Anacostia Metro Station um, that folks might be familiar with to a giant mural that's on the Navy Yard side that celebrates the Native American inhabitants, the Chank and the Piscataway tribes, to a, uh, as I mentioned, this 250-person outdoor river amphitheater that will have a, the river as a backdrop. On the, so this is the place that we see, you know, there'll be local acts, there'll be local music. Um, and in addition to all of that, though, I think what was really critical is right after we selected the design team, we looked around the country and saw where there were these types of projects around the United States and to see what were the intended and sometimes unintended consequences of these types of projects. And we're expecting, you know, 800,000 people a year could come to this park, right? And how do we ensure that the same thousands, tens of thousands of residents who shaped this project from the beginning can be the ones that benefit from it? So, you know, we've stood up a community land trust, the Douglas Community Land Trust, now has over 230 units of permanently affordable housing. We have 122 Ward 8 renters who've become homeowners, right? Capturing generational wealth who've gone through our Ward 8 Homebuyers Club. And we've just graduated our 27th construction training program because if we're spending all this money to build the park, we want to make sure as much of those dollars go back into the local community as possible. But to do that, we need to ensure that local residents have the skill set and capacity to apply for and succeed at these jobs. So you know, when the general contractor comes to us and says, well, I can't find any East of the River residents to hire, we can say, well, here's a list of over 150 East of the River residents who currently have jobs in the construction trades now, today, right? So think again and try a little harder, right? But it's that sort of level of intentionality that I think is key to fight those issues of displacement and gentrification. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I guess I'm curious to know from you, Ron, like, you know, as with all new development, I'm sure it does raise some questions about gentrification, particularly east of the river. What are folks in the community saying about that? I just think gentrification works both ways. It works from having people who are not building people up, mm-hmm. because the only way that you really fight gentrification is not just affordable housing. It's also building people up to be able to afford any housing without a voucher, without a system, right? So that they're not just a renter, they're an owner. And we got to be intentional about that. You can't just talk it. You got to put systems in place to do that. So to me, like the model that Scott has put together to me is a well-rounded model. It deals with when you do an assessment of the problems, you got to have solutions to the problems. Mm -hmm. And while I might not solve all our problems like crime and things, it kind of does because if you give somebody wealth, and ownership, then they tend not to destroy what they own, right? So we have to think along those lines 
in urban communities, whether you're building a bridge or you're just trying to deal with gentrification. And I don't think that we do enough of that in our communities. And that's why I think this project is so, so important. We, we were able to convince council members to give us $2 million to buy our properties so that black established businesses wouldn't get pushed out. And then we were able to get grant money to now build a go-go museum and restaurants and things like that right here. And the thing is, just like once Scott completes what he's doing, and once we complete what we're doing, nobody can say we can't do this again. Nobody can say you can't go and invest in formal gang members and get them equity, and they can show you why you should invest in them doing this versus investing in jails. And it's about accountability, because this didn't happen without accountability. Yeah, so it sounds like residents feel that this part could be a good change for the neighborhood, but not just for the neighborhood in terms of helping folks reimagine what is actually possible for our communities and for our spaces. Yes, absolutely. And I think people just didn't come on the bandwagon. Guy had to earn it. Him and his team had to earn it. So it, it didn't happen overnight, trust me. And I think that's how it should be for everybody. What was that like, Scott? Well, we've had over a thousand meetings with the community and we stopped counting after a thousand, right? So, and you know, as Ron said, it's like, you can't take things personal. I got yelled at and things, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the park, right? I mean, it's just like people wanted to be heard. People wanted a voice, right? I was giving a presentation at the annual Anacostia Coordinating Council. This was years ago. Um, and giving a presentation about like the designs for the park and all of our equitable development strategies. And somebody raised their hand and asked a question that I didn't quite know how to answer. They said, you know, with all of the investments you made in housing and, and preservation of Black-owned businesses and, you know, workforce development, like, that's all great. But do you need to build the park? And I was like, you know, I just committed like five years of my life at that point to build the park. Like park is in your title. So uh, whatever, it was a legitimate question. And I was struggling with thinking out how to answer it. And someone else in the audience stood up and said, like, they better build that park. Like, we've been designing this park for the last five years. And I was like, there you go. That's your answer. But that shows like true ownership, right? I mean, that means this isn't Scott's park. This is like, this is the community's park, right? And it's critical not only of making sure that the community is to the river that is going to help build this park, but we're going to have 40 full-time staff on this park, right? Just like my team now on the reflects the community that we serve, like those same staff, right? Um, the, in the rangers and the architects and the, you know, maintenance staff and people raising funds like everywhere on um, the um, also need to reflect the community that we serve. And, and, you know, we're, we're working on that right now. I'd say the last one, one other thing is that we're now advising nearly a dozen similar projects around the country who are following the same process that we've had of engaging with the community really early and intentionally. And it's so rewarding to see we're now learning from our colleagues around the country just as they've been learning from us. But we're the nation's capital, right? Like we should be setting the model. We should be setting the template for how to do this right. What have both of you learned in t undertaking this project? It seems like there's so many different lessons and different models that can that that have revealed itself, like what have both of you taken away from this project? I can tell you, it just proves something that I already knew that when people are intentional about making sure everybody gets equity and inclusion, change can happen and still be positive. And I think that the Level Street Bridge Park feeds right into historic Anacostia and it can be a model of how you preserve culture, how you preserve the existence of people who were there when nobody wanted to be there, but also welcome with open arms people who want to come and even make the community greater without pushing out people who wake up every day and work as hard as any of us 
to do the right thing. And I think that that should be the goal of this. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you, Ron. I'd say not to be afraid to widen the aperture. You need to recognize that the answers are already in the community, right? But you just need to listen to those. And the answers are, and people were, residents were saying like, hey, this is great, but like, what about housing? What about jobs? What about wealth creation, right? And we need to listen to that. And now that equitable development plan is just as important as building the park. Like this is an obvious thing to say, but for this to be a successful model, you need to build the park, right? And so we're you know going to be breaking ground at the end of this year. It's super exciting, but it's that those deep investments that we've made in the nearby community are just as important as building the bricks and mortaring of this new civic space. Amen. Thank you both so much for being here. Ronald Moten, Scott Kratz. Uh, can't wait to hang out in that park. Maybe I'll see you there. <laughs> These right. short years, we're walking across that bridge <laughs> together. Can't wait. Take care. And before you go, some quick news. Amazon is pausing construction on its second headquarters in Arlington, Virginia. The announcement comes right after the tech giant cut thousands of jobs. Now, Amazon says that it's still committed to the area and hopes to start pre-construction work later this year. Meanwhile, Alexandria has canceled its grant program for entrepreneurs who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color after a lawsuit from a white-owned engineering firm. The firm, Tridentis LLC, alleged that the grant was racially discriminatory. The city had originally created the program because local business people of color said that they had been left out of pandemic aid efforts. And lastly, the D.C. Housing Authority plans to reopen its public housing waitlist, which has been paused since 2013. The waitlist currently sits at over 20,000 people, and Executive Director Brenda Donald said that before reopening the list, D.C. Housing Authority has to check everyone on the existing waitlist to see if they're eligible or still need housing. Some folks have been on this list for over 20 years. And today's DC Life Hack. If you're looking to make your yard a little bit more park-like, the nonprofit Casey Trees, whose mission is to restore DC's tree canopy, will professionally plant a tree in your yard for free. Go to caseytrees.org to learn more. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not share it with your friend who can't get enough of DC's parks? They can also subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.